Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. Wow, so extra Found a little different fare. inflection in there. Yeah. yeah, extra fanfare on that one. You... Yeah, a little zip on it. Mm, my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. Yeah, I, well, wait. <laughs> my co-host, as always... Connor Rebus. Thank you, Zane. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Listen, it's great to be here, everybody. We have a fantastic fight night card to talk to you about today, but I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I, Zane? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should adopt more of an extremely cheesy talk show pattern. <laughs> That's pretty fun. What have you been doing lately? You've got a new project coming out that I've been hearing about a little bit. <laughs> So uh, I hear you've been uh, you've been uh, working on a little something over there. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh. Am I crazy, Zane, or yeah. uh, am I crazy again? Because the next couple cards look pretty good. Is this is this the part where they look good and then a bunch of fights get replaced and then we get to them and I and I hate my life? Could be. I mean, I think this this looks okay. Of, I, I think the hate your life is the inevitable part, so you should always plan around that. <laughs> it's the default yeah but like this looks pretty good next week's card looks pretty good yeah i mean i think we've been beaten down a little yeah but i felt this way exactly about the last like four cards it's like finally some some these these cards are perfectly acceptable and then when each one rolled around i was like what was i thinking yeah. this is trash so but this is only a week away and it looks fine to me so this isn't even a week away. I mean, we're talking three days here. Yeah, All you have yeah. to do is hold on to that bright, shining it's, bit of optimism for three days. Please, Lord, let it be fine. <laughs> yeah. The 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 hardcore fans prayer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is. You know, uh, our, our producer wasn't excited about it. My my response for. Uh, the show titles was it's fine like I, you know what it's fine i would say pretty good yeah you're saying pretty good i can be talked into that yeah I mean, um look you know we have i'm gonna just say the number of fights that i think are like either relevant or just simply well booked and with the caveat that they all feature fighters you know yeah one two three four arguably five definitely six yeah that's the heavyweights that i got to right there oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. you want to see that seven i mean yeah, it's like a I, bunch of it's a bunch of blue names i will say this it's a fight night card with three ranked fights on it now albeit one of them is a is a rematch we really don't need or care about at all but 
it there's still three ranked fights on a fight night card, mm-hmm. which you know that's at least it's relevant. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain about this card. And you know what? Neither will I. It'll be a, it'll be a welcome break for our poor benighted, yeah. long-suffering listeners. If the, if every fight night card looked like this. I would be perfectly satisfied with the the job that the UFC was doing on fight nights. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know what? Credit to them too. They they may have set it in Las Vegas for reasons unknown, but they actually tried branding a fight night card once again, going back to the like. Fight for the Troops days, which were yeah, 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 great. If people remember that back that far, those were pretty cool cards. They were all insanely violent. Yeah, uh, they went back and they branded a fight night card, Noche UFC, and what do you know? It was a big success and everybody liked it. I had a good time. A slight everybody difference. Liked it. Even if I, I got to watch that card on my TV. We have yeah. a Ro- we have a Roku now, oh, so we're not you. Welcome to 2005, Connor. I know, I know. So we're not just watching like Hulu on the PS3, uh, and um, so that was a fun experience. But even then, I was explaining to my girlfriend, I was like, "Yeah, in like boxing, like walkouts are insane. So you don't yeah. get that. You don't get that in MMA. No, yeah, no. So there is still the you know the." what feels like an event in UFC fight night land is a pretty low bar to clear because everything is always the same forever. Yeah. But I enjoyed the the slight change in aesthetics, (laughs) different musical stings, some like themed video packages. They had Mario Lopez did a a cool little thing about, uh, you know, your cliched Mexican fighting spirit, but they highlighted some Mexican boxers of the past and, it was fun, and the Mexican yeah, they, they, pro they cut to the Spanish language announcing team that for was every cool. now and then. And Dana Cormier was like, "Wow, they're loud every time." That was cool. They brought Brandon yeah. Moreno in to commentate on two of the fights with the uh, with the regular broadcast booth. That was different, and the, uh, the 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 Viva Mexico crowd was great. Yeah, the, so the crowd was awesome. It was a cool fight night card. I don't know. Maybe this is the upswing I thought we were getting five weeks ago. Maybe. Or maybe it's just a, a tease. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it, we could be looking at Josh Fremd versus <laughs> Roman Kapalov any second now. Yeah. That was a pretty fun ass whooping, though. But anyway, was- we'll talk We'll talk to that in our subscribers only. That's right. Uh, That's post-show right. chat. Subscribers only. <laughs> Don't tell. This first episode now has a vibe of like an Ashley Madison ad. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we should talk about this card. Yeah. All right. Subscribers only. (laughs) That got me. Okay. Busy M. Camrot. Yes. That's our headliner. It's a lightweight fight. It's a reasonable 
divisional sorting fight. Yeah. These kinds of things need to happen. Um, it's not the fight, I would say, that I'm most thrilled for out of all of the possible lightweight fights, but it's not bad. No, and I actually kind of like it um, from the perspective of Fiziev, um, you know, was making his way up the rankings. He ran into one of like the Fab Five, I suppose, of like top lightweight. Well, I suppose it's the Fab Four in the UFC. Eddie Alvarez used to be part of that pack, but he's gone. Yeah. Um, not for good, just from the UFC. So he ran into one of the Fab Four of lightweight uh, MMA and uh, got thrown back. Competitive performance, but, you yep. know, lost some momentum. And now he gets to fight another, like, slightly older, probably less potential having a uh, potential contender of his same era mm-hmm. to see if he can actually get another shot to break through. I think this is fine. I, I, yeah, it's a, it's a it's solid match. Like I say it's just not, you know, yeah. quite... Fiziev, or Gamrot, rather, he's kind of gotten up. His his journey up to the top has exposed what people thought would be his problem all the way at the bottom, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot of people when Fiziev, I remember there were a couple of, like, big Euro MMA nerds out there. I don't remember who now, but, you know. You know, the, the, ones. the the kinds of people that are always watching the KSWs and the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, A ACAs and a- all that ACB or a- a- ACC ACB yeah and all, all this stuff. Um, the Dictator Championship. Yeah, 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 that one. Um, as opposed to our Dictator Championship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they were like, "Oh, Gamrot, really? Uh, he's not gonna." succeed in the OC. He's just a boring grinder who has like, you know, found some success whomping on guys on the regionals kind of thing. And of course they were obviously insanely wrong. Gamrod is an absolute marvel as a wrestler and grappler. Oh yeah. And has styled on practically everybody that he's faced outside of the top 15 and, and a really, really good athlete with, um, with a non typical athlete trait that really complements his athletically dependent game, which is his tremendous gas tank. Yeah. Great cardio. Great scrambler. Gamer is a fighter who can, uh, given the right, uh, fight, he can do the most taxing thing you can do in MMA over and over and over again for five rounds, given the opportunity. Yep. Um, but he is, however, like the thing that we are seeing it as when he hits the top 15 now. Yeah. Is that when he reach there, there's a level of competition that can scramble with him. And, right generally not fall to you know be forced to fight off of it his takedowns constantly they can fight them off mm-hmm. just reasonably and then his striking game just doesn't exist it turns out he just has like a 2006 ass mma game yeah and he's just like athletic enough to make it work uh and i'm not denying his skill but it is a pretty narrow 
uh, like ravine yeah. of skill that he's got. And uh, it, the result is that he's basically, and this occurred to uh, Phil and I when we were just talking about this yesterday, he's basically Uriah Faber. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, he moves around a lot, but yeah. not in any particularly systematic way. He tries to bomb people with big, really fast right hands. And then he is a monster with the takedowns and the scrambling, but he can't hold top position to save his life, even when it, it's uh, and it's up to him. He just doesn't yeah. want to. It's not wired into him to no. maintain top position. He has a very alpha male top game. So he's and very he even has a little bit of that favor thing, too, where it's like, oh, I'm starting to get my ass kicked. I'm just going to back up and like, yeah. stay away. He's very Uriah Faber, isn't he? He is. Um. But hey, you know what? That Uriah Faber, pretty good fighter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so won a lot like of fight. And you got to say, too, we're talking about Gamrock. He struggles against the top 15. He still beat Carlos Diego Pajera, Armand Soyukin, and Jalen Turner. And sure, well, you can argue about Soyukin and Turner. But yes. the point is that he was competitive neck and neck with them at every t- all the way through. That is like, true. Yeah. They this were both, is, you know. This is the other thing with Gamrod is that he has some power over judges that. Yeah. Uh, he is the opposite of whatever John McDessie and yeah. Bobby have going on. Yeah. I can't really explain it. I guess judges really do like takedowns, mm-hmm. but, uh, well, I mean, sh- shit, one takedown that wasn't even really a takedown gave Alexa Grasso a 10, eight last weekend. So, yep. um, I didn't think he beat Jalen Turner. That one was close. I wasn't too upset about it. I definitely thought he lost to Armin Sarukian. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine with that, but it is nonetheless a testament to his ability that these are very good high-level fighters. He's definitely competing with them very well. No question yeah, about that. Yeah, and he's giving them a lot of trouble. Yeah, no question about that. Yeah, and so he makes for an interesting matchup for um, Rafael Fiziev, who... Yeah. Uh, you know, I say that despite having to acknowledge that if this was a three rounder, I think I would pick Fazeev with all the confidence in the world. Yeah, that's true. Because Gamrod's game does not seem particularly well suited in most aspects to take advantage of to to, to actually like bank rounds on Fazeev. The, the difficulty of saying that is that he has picked up two wins now where I didn't think he successfully banked the rounds. Yeah. So maybe you I laughed was, at me in my John McDessie take against uh, you. Jamie was, Malarkey. No, you cackled. You I never. I don't cackle. <laughs> I've never cackled in you, my life. You chortled. I chortle. Okay. Fat men chortle. That I can agree with. <laughs> okay. I may have chortled. <laughs> <laughs> I may have chortled. You chortled. All right. But you have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, some fighters, they just don't, they don't get the judging love. Yeah. And some fighters do. And some fighters do. Gamrod is one of them. Um, but if this was a three rounder, right? Like, yeah. Fasib's best two rounds are the first two. Yeah. He's full of energy. He's incredibly fast and powerful. He's very difficult to take down. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's high output. So like he could straight up completely lose the third round in a three round fight. And there's still no question in my mind. He would get a decision over Gamrod if not finish him. Yeah. The five round booking does make it a little more difficult. It does. 
because Vizieve slows down. I think we have realized by now that this is the this is the fatal flaw in Fiziev's game. And as has been uh, revealed on, on a couple occasions, one in particular, it is a, it is a flaw, which does not really change from one opponent to the next. That Fiziev, like a young Jose Aldo, perhaps is a fighter who does everything. Actually a better comparison. I already made this one too, is, to um, Rose Namajunas. Uh-huh. She also has this tendency to be very explosive um, with every action, such that if she is fighting at pace, she's going to tire herself out. Um, and then we'll have a second, third, fourth wind of that lasts about a minute and a half each at the start of each round after she's gotten tired. That explosion kind of recharges, but you can definitely identify a downward trend. I think it's more marked with Fiziev because he is more explosive and higher output. Everything he does is maximum intensity. I mean, it should be noted. Mm-hmm. He's coming off of a fifth round knockout of RDA. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, one in which he started to lose the fight and then yeah. had a big burst of energy. That happened to, you know, let me ask you this. Based on how the momentum of that fight had shifted, do you think he would have won if he hadn't knocked RDA out early in round five, which is what happened? Uh, He basically got a rest, came out and did what he always does when that happens, recharged, went after RDA, and he caught him with one. If that had not hurt RDA and another 30 seconds had elapsed, would RDA not have gone back to wrestling him as he was more more successfully able to do with each passing minute of that fight? Probably yes to me. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, that's reasonable. I mean, it was probably... It, 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 was, prob- it was probably... Uh, well... Because he did this he against... might have won... The first three rounds. Actually, you know what? I can just check. I don't have to have this debate. I can just go go find the scorecard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying he would have even lost the fight. I'm just saying there is a definite thing where the the majority of time he spends in the later rounds of a fight, he is just not capable of being as active. Okay. He would have won that fight even had he lost the fifth round. Sure. Because he picked up the third. Yeah, he picked up the third on two judges' cards. Fine. Yeah, and that's one judge had it had it dead even. So it was it was not a sure run. It was it was a close run thing. Although even those scorecards are indicative that the momentum shifted somewhere in round three, right? Yep. Yeah. Whether it was enough to lose in the round or not. Yes. Um, And against Gaethje, you know, he came out and he was tired. Yeah, eight, no. Eight, eight I, minutes into round two, crazy banger of a fight. Round three, he came out, nailed Gaethje with like three or four really good shots, and then just got beaten <laughs> for the rest yeah. of round three because the burst was done. I also think there's a tactical shift in there from Gaethje that played a lot into that. But sure. you, can't be deni- you can't deny that Fiziev slows down over time. This is the thing. No matter the opponent, his own work will take it out of him because yeah. – and and I think for that reason, this would be a really great opportunity for Vizieve to do what um, maybe a bit of what Jack Della Maddalena did last weekend. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know that that was a flawless performance from Jack, but it was him trying something that was pretty different from his usual approach. And I appreciated that, you know, he didn't like the way his last fight went. And he was like, all right, let's, let's, let's put the emphasis on these skills that I have and see how I can win a fight this way. And I think this would be a great time for Viziv to be like, what if I throw some of my punches with merely 50% power? Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh my God, it turns out that like, because I'm so fast and accurate and I have good defense and good footwork and really I'm a tremendously well-rounded and very, uh, athletic fighter, I can actually just sort of like preserve myself and hang around and be capable of finding big moments if I need them for the entire fight. I think Fazeev yeah. is capable of that. I think he's he's a very, very good fighter. But no, it's, still, it's impossible to think that he just doesn't have, like, th- that his cardio is just bad or something, you know? Like... No, I don't I, think it is. He can I, recover I would, tremendously well. It's I think yeah. he just does. He doesn't know how to turn it down. Yeah, that nope. so nobody can fight at that. No, you can be as well conditioned as you want. Nobody can sprint for for fifteen minutes straight. He's 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 basically got he's he's Mike Chandler in in a lot in that way. Like yeah, with a whole lot more skill. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, well, you know, Chandler's a wrestler, but like. Yeah, it's the same problem Michael Chandler has. Absolutely, yes. You watch him and you're like, why? Like, everybody knows you train hard. Everybody knows, nobody out there in their right mind thinks that Mike Chandler is not out there on the treadmill all the goddamn time. And you can see Chandler too. Chandler is capable of finding 19 wins after his initial one runs out. Yeah, he recovers really, really well, as does Fazeev, but he needs but, to recover faster yeah. than somebody like Gamrot, who is a yeah. lot more sort of choosy and and uh, picky with his explosive moments. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So anyway, I still think Fazeev's going to win. Yeah. I think I would like to see him win doing doing that and trying to. I would like to see this look like Gamrot's fight with Benil Dariush, basically. Yeah. But Darius didn't have to do too much. He was just like, you're not going to take me down. My mm-hmm. defensive wrestling is super solid. I'm going to stay at the right range. And you're going to put your ass against the fence. I'm just going to enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, that's the thing. Is that, like, there really isn't a place where Fiziev's game falls apart at an elite level. Right. Other than potentially his energy levels. Yeah. But there is a point where Gamrot's game just immediately becomes yes. a liability yes. at an elite level. If he cannot pick up those necessary takedowns, yeah, what does he do? He's got a right hand, which is fast and well-timed, and that is it, really. Yep. And Fiziev's counter game should be really well-attuned to Gamrot leaping in with one punch. Like, you always know what the punch is going to be. Pretty much. Yeah. You know. Fazeev has uh, a particularly good version of Armin Sarukian's most effective striking weapon. He has a great body kicking game. Yeah, I was going to say that's the other thing that also really chewed Gamrod up against Turner. That's was yep. body kicks. Yep. Fazeev is a very good body hitter in general, but his body kicks are particularly savage. Those will be there for him. I just think it's 
the five round thing makes it more interesting. It will show yep. perhaps whether Fazeev has learned anything or not. Yeah. But it's it's still pretty hard to actually pick Gamrot to win this, even knowing that he is a guy who just keeps winning close fights. <laughs> yeah. But and I, 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 I got to pick. I have to pick Fazeev. It really does, honestly, to me, feel like a fight that where we, we could easily see Fazeev just be dominant yeah. for two rounds. And Gamrot be controlling for two rounds. And we're looking at one round in the middle going, ah. But this is the problem with Gamrot. This is why it's, if Gamrot was RDA, yeah. like, there is an argument that RDA could have won that fight with Vizieve, right? One sure, judge sure. gave him yeah. the third. That's when the moment, momentum was shifting. Yep. His wrestling started to work. And if he hadn't got caught in round five, uh, you that probably would have been another RDA round. Yeah. Because that's just the trend of the fight. Yep. Gamrot is not RDA. No. He... Just as Fazeev is a pathological, up to this point, inability to just turn down the throttle, Gamrot doesn't hold people down. No, he, he doesn't hold people down. He should have tried to hold Turner down. He, he yeah. doesn't, it's just not in his game. He's like, he's impatient or he just knows he's fast. Like, whatever reason, his instincts and his technique is to follow up takedowns with, like, aggressive scrambling moves. Like, what's a good position I can get to? Yeah. He, Gamrot would be, I think, a much more consistent fighter if he had like a pinning game, you know, yeah. a riding game. If he could just control people and wear them out, like if he could do a bit of what like Anthony Hernandez does, mm-hmm. he'd be a beast because his cardio is insane and his takedowns are phenomenal and his scrambling is unbelievable and he can he can do it longer than anyone else. Yep. But he doesn't have that game. He hits a takedown, and generally, often sort of by his own doing, you're they're back to their feet 45 seconds later at most. It's true. And if you keep thinking about even when tired, which of these two is more likely to be doing the damage in late rounds? Yeah. It still feels like, you know, it doesn't feel like Fizzy Gamrod has any of the potential to, to make the kind of adjustments Gagey did right. to actually you know, really changed the tenor of that fight as it went. Um, you know, cause Gagey, uh, he, there was a lot of work there early to ace, get fizzy out of the pocket just with how hard he hits. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that to establish a jab late in the fight, when fizzy was starting to be a little slower and more tentative and thoughtful, to really stick him at range. And mm-hmm. the idea of Gamrot going out there and being like, ah, yeah, I've got Fazeev slowed down a little. I'm going to stick a jab on him. Got him right where I want him. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't feel like it. And a lot of RDA's control time that was winning him late minutes of that fight wasn't even on the ground, but no, yeah. against the fence. Yep. And Gamrot doesn't really do that either. No. So yeah, I'm gonna stick with Fizio as well. I I had I had been coming in kind of only really thinking about it in terms of three rounds, and so I was just like very clearly gonna pick Fizio. The five rounds does add a second layer to it. It does. But, it makes it more interesting. Yeah, but because Gamrod's game is like it's very dynamic, but it is it is fundamentally initiative seeding. Yeah, I would really like to see Fizio come out here. And show that he can fight 
consistently at a steady pace for three and a half rounds. Would be great to see Fiziev just stick on a jab. Yeah, right? Do a Tuporia, Raphael. Yep. Yep. That I would love to see that because I really think Fiziev has he has top contender championship potential. Like he is clearly a very well schooled, well rounded, and physically imposing fighter. Yeah. Uh, he should be better than than he is. And he's and already I mean, very good. He's very good. We're just basically saying he should be a title contender and he's not. Yes. There's another level that he can, he seems to have the potential to get to. And this is a great fight to, uh, to start making those moves. Fiziev opened at minus 154. He's currently minus 147. That line has jumped up and down a little, but not a lot. Uh, Gamrot opened at plus 137 and is currently at plus 132. Likewise, bounced up and down a tiny bit. Not a lot of change in those lines. So, all right, that brings us to a featherweight bout: Bryce Mitchell, Dan Ige, and another good fight. Another good fight and a fight. I, this is kind of, I mean, this is kind of a mirror. But Mitchell of our of our main event, except that Ige is not as Diverse as Fiziev in terms of his power striking tools, and and Mitchell's version of Gamrot's game leads to a lot more winning chances. And Mitchell's game is much more pressure and control based. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, Mitchell much less, much less athletic, but much more pressure and control based. Yeah. It's a much winning style done with much less athletic flair. Yeah. Mitchell, like Mitchell has a feeling of his fights where if he has his way, he will finish you eventually. Yeah. Yeah. That is not the feeling of Gamrot's fights. No, Mitchell is, and uh, Mitchell's, uh, you know, we've talked about him in the past a lot. And, and the thing that impresses, and I think has kept Bryce Mitchell, you know, up here in, in the featherweight elite for a dude who, you know, he's, Five foot nine with a seventy inch reach and no real standout athletic skill. Like there's yeah, some he's, he's speed fine. and some sneaky strength in there or whatever, but like mm-hmm. you know, it was it was uh yeah, there's nothing really that stands out about his athleticism at all. He is a really, really good problem solver. Yeah, he's like, um, who's the Welsh dude we like? I'm just blanking on his name. Oh, uh, not Brett John. Not Brett John's the other one. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, too. Yeah. Why am I blanking on his name? I really like his fighting style. Yeah, John's was the first one, but I mean, just... Uh, damn it. Come on. All right. You, you talk about the fight. I'll find it. Yeah. Uh, oh, Jack Shore. Jack Shore. Yeah. Bryce Mitchell's kind of like a Jack Shore. Yeah. Uh, and, but even then Jack Shore has a lot more of a process than Bryce Mitchell. 
Bryce Mitchell is very much, he goes out there and he will sort of like stick a really ugly jab on you and some like little low kicks and just some annoying offense. And then if you attack him, he will go into full retreat. He just kind of like flies out of the pocket almost. Sure. And will come up with a new idea. He'll try to run you into something or, you know, take down. It's a counter left hand. If you chase him, he will sit on something. And if you don't chase him, he will reset and say, okay, well, I tried some little test out things last time and this happened. I'm going to do this next time instead. And he just kind of keeps probing for ideas to see if he can find something that'll work. And Mm -hmm. once he does, he doesn't let go of it. Mm -hmm. Once he finds an idea that is breaking his opponent down, he will stay on that pretty much permanently. Yeah. And, and he's just, he has the feeling of being shockingly good at a lot of specific things. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a dude that like, you know, we've said this too. It's a, it's, it's a shame that he is so batshit insane. Yeah. He's just an absolute doofus as a person. What's going on with him now? His girlfriend is like blackmailing him or something. Killed, no killed all of his fruit trees. <laughs> That's right. And he is trying to like tell everybody <laughs> that she's insane, which she probably is. Cause she, a yeah. dates Bryce Mitchell in the first place. Yeah. And, and Bryce B, Mitchell is definitely the kind of guy who would date a woman who would vengefully destroy somebody's fruit trees. Yeah. And then B is the kind of person who would wreak vengeance on an ex-lover. That's always oh, yeah. a big red flag. Um, But, you know, there's also like she then posted video of him like breaking one of her doors because he wanted yeah. his dog back. And she wait a was minute, go, wait go a find it. This is the first time in history that one person being revealed by their partner to be an absolutely crazy person is countered by that partner revealing them to be a crazy person. These relationships never happen. It's only ever one person who's crazy in these kinds of relationships. No. Yeah. Go figure. Bryce Mitchell (laughs) has an equal part in this insufferable pairing. Yeah. The man is a goofball. The man is an absolute loon. Yeah. But it's too bad because I think somewhere lost in the middle of that is probably a guy who could have been smart if the chips had fallen different, you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he, he certainly, he is very much a, I do my own research kind of guy. Oh yeah. And it's just like, if somebody had gotten there earlier and been able to supplant, I do my own research with, I learn by good examples and like thoughtfully laid out arguments and, you know, test test ideas and things like that use some scientific method who knows maybe the man would be curing cancer then again based on his girlfriend choices maybe he's just driven by libidinous impulses that that we can't we can't really reckon with maybe he'd be inventing the newest the the newest wave in immersive sex sex toys you know who knows what what was kept off the market by keeping (laughs) him just a 
just a complete dumbass. Um, <laughs> the point being, yes, he he's a pretty clever fighter. He is. He has he has found a place to channel that cleverness, and it is fighting. And Danny Gay is a he's a tactically improving fighter. He's a difficult fighter. He hits hard. He counters well, and uh, he he knows how to. He has learned patience over years of struggling with cardio and output, uh, and he even has some good grappling skills to go in with that. Certainly, he he is a very good grappling wrestler up to a certain level. Yeah, where like but, against everybody, he looks like the way Ilya Tuporia looked against Bryce Mitchell. But then when he fights Korean Zombie or Mavsari Vloev, it's like, yeah. oh, these guys take him down and it's a real problem. And he's just a guy who, like, if you have a thoughtful approach, Danny Gay doesn't really have a thoughtful response. You know? The core of his game is always to be there to bang it out with you. If you, sl- if you want to get aggressive with him, Danny Gay will meet that and he's trying to, you know, he's, he's trying to find ways to make sure he meets that and doesn't get tired. Like that's, that's the, the entire arc of Danny Gay's career. Be there to, to go through a dogfight, and now be to be there longer to go through a dogfight and not get tired. I would, I think that Ige is a pretty good adjuster given enough time. Um, a tactical adjuster, as you said. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think more of the limitation is probably just that Danny Gay really likes to counterpunch. Yeah. So against guys like Josh Emmett, who that was one of his, like, I'm going to stay away from you performances for the most part. Um, or Ivloev, who also like when he was not wrestling him, was kind of staying at range and being fainting and jabbing. Yeah. There just aren't as many opportunities for Danny Gay to do the things he's really good at. So the adjustments just don't present themselves. I just think he's he's just more tactically limited. Yeah. You know? Then somebody like Bryce Mitchell, who is um, maybe not as he's not as deep anywhere. Um, I mean, his grappling game is probably yeah. as deep or deeper than Danny Gay's striking. But he has a lot of other relatively shallow but still very broad um, pools of technique to draw from. Like yeah. Bryce Mitchell will beat somebody on the feet given enough time to try enough different things. Yep. You know? And yeah, I think he's just going to get a lot of time here. And yeah. yeah. I I think, you know, he might run into a couple of real scares with sure. EK because EK will be there like a spring waiting for Mitchell to, um, you know, like Mitchell starts most fights with like, oh yeah, here's some little punches and kicks and like what happens. And, you know, it, you can see there's a level for Bryce Mitchell too, where yeah, Ilya Topuria is like, you're gonna throw that at me. I will just wreck you every moment of your life. You know, if that is what you are coming to me with, if that is the depth of your striking technique, I will beat you with within an inch of your life. Yeah. And that said, Bryce Mitchell still took him down. He did, and got on top of him. So like, but that's Tuporia, so it didn't lead to anything. Yeah, 
Danny Gay, that'll lead to something. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah. When I first looked at this matchup, I was like, I like Danny Gay, you know? Yeah. And uh, this feels, there are certainly some shades here of a uh, Mitchell Tapuria Redux. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. A big part of that performance from Tapuria is the fact that he was virtually impossible to take down and absolutely impossible to outgrapple when that did happen. Yeah. That his scrambling was just insane. I mean, Tapuria is not only a really technical grappler, um, but also an elite athlete. Yeah, exactly. On a, on a level that Bryce Mitchell is not, and neither is Dan Ige. And, and there's also just a level of confidence to Tapuria, too, of knowing absolutely. that. Absolutely, absolutely. Where he can, we have seen Tapuria can get put in really bad positions, and he's just like, oh, no, I'll just sit back down and do what I do. You know, yeah. we saw him get nearly knocked out by uh, oh, J- Jai Herbert. And Topuri was like, no, I'm going to go sit down and punch with this guy because I'm a better puncher than him. Yep. Time to die, Mr. Herbert. Yeah. He has that kind of confidence. And Danny Gay does not and has never had that kind of confidence. No. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that, yeah, just looking at Danny Gay's fights with the thing is, is like most of the time, Danny Gay, like I said, is quite difficult to take down. Yeah. And is a solid grappler. He appears very solid overall against, you know, your Damon Jacksons. Um, but then if you look at his stats, I when I first looked, I was like, wait, 56% takedown defense? And I was like, oh, he got taken down nine times by Mavsar of Loev. Yeah, yeah. And then I got taken down three or four times by the Korean zombie. Yeah. Um, and he got taken down multiple times by another earlier opponent, too. There is just a level of... Uh, largely it, it seems to be a a physical thing, but it's a technical thing as well. People who are just really markedly strong wrestlers um, and or better athletes, they will get him down. Mm-hmm. And if they do, it seems to break a lot of his game. Yeah. And Bryce Mitchell, he took down Andre Feely. <laughs> and he took down Ilya Tupuria. Yeah. Uh, and these are both really good defensive wrestlers. So I, I mean, think hell, he it, took down Edson Barboza and people may yeah. think to themselves like, oh, Edson Barboza, he's not hard to take down. Edson Barboza has a lot of problems. Yeah. Being easy to take down isn't actually really quite one of them. No. Yeah. Like just because you're inevitably going to get taken down when you're on the fence the whole time against a guy like Khabib. Yeah does not mean that Barboza's takedown defense is not good. Yeah. It's cer- it certainly is. Uh, in fact, despite despite the fights he had with Mitchell and Lee and Khabib, these are a distinct pattern of fights against people who pressure him and take him down a lot. His takedown defense stats are still markedly higher than Danny Gay's. It's, it's 75% takedown <laughs> defense for Edson Barboza. Yeah, and that is you have to keep in mind that is a number that features a fight where, say, Khabib took him down Four times. Four times. And Kevin and, Lee, four times. Yeah. And even in those fights, you know, he's still actually stuffing the vast majority of takedown attempts. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Bryce Mitchell is a, a really sharp takedown artist. He has great timing on everything, but his, his takedowns are where that usually leads to, like, serious winning chances in the fight. And his grappling game is phenomenal. Like, he has all the things I said that Gamrot needs. Yep. 
he is a he has a very wrestling approach to a lot of positions where he will let somebody get on a hip or get to turtle and just ride them and continually break their posts down. And when he takes um, what you might think of as more of a jiu-jitsu position, mount or half guard or something, he really likes to control the entirety of his opponent's body, controls their hips really well using his own legs, loves like the, the three-quarter mount um, or three-quarter guard or whatever the hell they call it, likes mm-hmm. quarter mount, likes dummy mount, all of these sort of, yeah, you can kind of move, but only in two very specific ways, positions. Uh, where it's a pick-your-poison uh, sort of situation for his opponents. Um, very modern, round-winning, and uh, as I said before, when, when Bryce Mitchell is having his way, there is always the feeling that he would finish his opponent given enough time. It is like a yeah. principled, spirit-breaking kind of ground game that he has. Uh, which also involves him, you know, going for a lot of submissions and doing work with ground and pound. And I think he's going to beat Dan Ige. Yep. That's it. I hate to say it. Love Dan Ige, but hey, I like Bryce Mitchell as a fighter too. And, and uh, yeah, I, I would like to see him get back into uh, into a contention path. He's been quite inactive these last few years. Is there a reason for that? Mitchell? Yeah. Uh, I think he's had some injuries did he get injured in the Andre Feely fight? Because he had two years off after that, and then this uh, is his, this is his first fight since November of uh, actually since March. Of Mitchell last... due 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 to recurring back injury, so he's apparently uh-huh. had some ongoing back problems. So that may just hamper him as a top contender. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Mitchell, we the Topuria fight showed that. Oh, oh yeah. There is a limit for Mitchell. There's, I mean, we always know, like, if you're not a great athlete, cleverness will only take you so far. Yeah. There will be a point. The the Ilya Topuria's, the Alexander Volkanovsky's, the Kamaru Usman's, the Max Holloway's, etc. of the world, they do not care how how ingenious you are. They will just style on you into infinity. Yeah. You know, there's there's no there's no world in which you're uh, you know you're looking at somebody not not to throw his name in here like but you know there's no world in which John Jones as a light heavyweight was looking at like oh you know. This this new challenger knows knows a wheel kick or <laughs> is like he's got a crafty trip ta- trip game from clinch. Like it doesn't care. They they don't have to care. Yeah, there's a reason why the the book on Jones for a minute. I don't know if this was a completely accurate read, but was the, the understanding people had was that he was deliberately fighting people where they were best. Yeah, for for kicks. Yeah, um, and there's a reason pe- it felt that way because whatever special thing you thought a new contender had, Jones was just better at it. Yeah, there was never a point in GSP's range where you're like a reign where you're like, yeah, oh, you know this this new challenger, boy, he's got an ankle, he's got a knee bar game. GSP better watch out, you know. Yeah. 
Chad, Chad Mendes is by far the best challenger, the best wrestler Jose Aldo's ever fought. Yeah. Jose Aldo out-wrestles him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bryce Mitchell doesn't have that kind of, uh, that, that neck. Again, it's really a physical thing. Yeah. The, That's the, the main athletic, shortcoming. Yeah. His exact game with Ilya Tsuporia's athleticism, this dude's a champion, right? Sure. Well, then you're, you're looking at like Khabib. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. But hey, having Khabib's game with a slightly more average uh, physical capability still makes you a very good fighter who beats guys like Dan Ige. Exactly. Uh, odds on the fight. Ige opened at plus 122. He's currently at plus 183. Uh, Mitchell opened at minus 135. He's currently down at minus 207. All right, that brings us to the fight. We really, it's solid and fine, but we did not need to see it at all. Uh, Marina Rodriguez versus Michelle Watterson 2. Michelle Watterson Gomez 2. What, and, what else what, what else were you wanting to see? Oh, I don't know. Like, uh, let's take a look at our rankings. UFC rankings. Wiki. I would use the wiki for this because it's just so much cleaner. Because these are basically like Marina Rodriguez has lost two in a row. Sure. Watterson has lost three in a row. One uh, I would to like Marina to Rodriguez. have seen on, she's booked, so we can't. But I would have been happy to see Marina Rodriguez against Jessica Andrade. That sure. would have been a fun fight. Uh, I don't see how that's really different. You have another you don't see like. how that's different than playing back a fight we saw two years ago that we know how it's already going to go. Uh, okay, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I guess. No, I mean, come on. Just fucking make fun of me. <laughs> Piece of shit. What the hell was that? Don't mock the way I talk. <sighs> Ooh, I'm the host. I'm saying I can do it. I can do it too. You like you that? Do, you do it all the time. You like that? <laughs> A um, little. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> well, no, shh, don't do that, Zane. That's subscribers only. Subscribers only. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I see your point. Yeah. It's it's the fact that it's a rematch. It's the fact that it's which, a rematch. Uh, which I did fight, but I, I think I still it. have the residual feeling of me first looking at this matchup, which uh that was from a distant time of two days ago when I forgot these two had fought already. I forgot they had two. So I'll I looked at it and I was like, to tell yeah, our fine. today was like, oh, yeah, they've fought before. And I was like, wait, they've fought before? And I went back and watched it. <laughs> yeah. And I watched it for a minute. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember this fight. And I know exactly, like, it's exactly the fight we know we're going to get. Yeah. So ha the initial feeling I had having forgotten that was, yeah, yeah fine. Yeah. Um, the fact that it's a meaningless rematch. Um. But it is also, it's more understandable, I suppose, because um, probably they don't mind giving Marina Rodriguez another win. She's clearly a good fighter. Yeah. Um, with some shortcomings, but she's, you know, big and powerful and. Yeah, uh, she looks like a title challenger for five minutes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, she's gonna win again. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is it like you you look at this fight and you're like, okay, 
I honestly, you know, we we were I was talking to this with our producer as well before the show started, where she was like, "Oh, what the fuck's up with Michelle Waters?" And I don't really get the deal of like, you know, why they're still sticking her at the top of cards and stuff. And I was like, "Hey, she's pretty much still one of the only fighters under a hundred and thirty-five pounds that anybody recognizes." And she's also a William Morris client. Yeah, she is a William Morris client too. I'd forgotten about that. That's so probably it's got something to do with. She got extra they, pull because they are they are obliged to treat her like a noted client of their parent company. Yeah, no conflict of interest there. But you no, know. certainly not. I don't know why she's a. Is she? I guess she must be in like a dozen bad movies a year, right? I don't think so. She just had a real moment where you know she had like the look. She had the popularity. She was a former Invicta champ. She's a pretty good fighter. Yeah. And it just sort of like, she was one of the most notable straw weights out there. So yeah. A hot mom who does karate. Yeah. She has yep. a little brand thing, but she doesn't, Yeah, she doesn't have uh she doesn't have an interesting personality to go. No, she really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, There's you could no... see like with the red element, she should be out there being like a, 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 a Cindy Rothrock. Uh, kind Cynthia. of movie career. Cynthia's yeah. a nickname for Cynthia. Okay, okay. Come on. I was being familiar because we're friends. <laughs> okay. Me and Cynthia Rothrock. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, but yeah, she's boring. That's the main thing. Yeah. That's just... Gomez. So I don't know what the what the actual the representation she's getting from William Morris does for her but i assume it has something to do with the fact that the ufc has to keep placing her prominently because she is literally a client of the agency whose parent company owns the ufc yeah um so we were but yeah we were talking about like you know what's their whole deal thing and the thing i was thinking too though in this is that michelle watterson's not actually gotten in like she's on a three fight losing streak i know but she's not any worse than she ever was. I, mean, I might even argue that she's, she's better. Yeah. She's better. Yeah. She's fighting better than ever these days. The talent level has just risen around her continuously. Yeah. And she's still small. Yeah. Um, and she's, despite being a, a pretty good athlete, she's not particularly dangerous. Yeah. She doesn't have any power. Yeah. She just has, a, you know, she doesn't have the punching mechanics necessary uh, yeah. to do a lot of damage. And she's small. I mean, that that's part of it, too. Yeah. And her opponents are just better. But certainly, Watterson has always had... She's always been super tough. She she gets the the treatment like Anthony Pettis and like Stephen Thompson and like and Gunnar Nelson. Like all these fighters who, uh, however pretentious or not, they have the feeling of being like slick, crafty karate people. Uh, I get the feeling people just don't want to acknowledge that they are in fact like hard nosed tough guys as well. Um, so this doesn't get talked about a lot. Like we talk about Anthony Pettis being insanely tough all the time. Uh, but that, anyway, anyway, that is a quality that Watterson has. She has stayed around in fights and won some of them in comebacks because of her toughness. Yeah. And the thing that's really improved, I think, uh, in the last few years, which is why we say she's better, is her wrestling. Her wrestling has improved. And I also think that she's she's put a lot of – it's not really connected to any of the rest of her game. 
but she's tried to put a lot of work into occasionally slipping into a very much more squared up stance and doing some boxing with yeah. a little more force than she used to have. Yeah. So yeah, she's 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 gotten a little craftier basically. Yeah. Um, but what happened the last time around is that uh, despite the fact that Marina Rodriguez is a fighter who loves to get taken down early, uh, Watterson couldn't really get going with it because Rodriguez was just huge. Yeah, and she's too she can hit her from too far away. And yeah. Watterson just, likes to spend. It turns out being the style of stance she has, the style of fight she tends to slip into first, it keeps Watterson at a long distance too. Yeah, she tends to have to pick her moments to jump into the pocket and blitz with punches and get more squared up. Yeah, and against somebody like Rodriguez, Rodriguez could just stick her at range forever and be like, "Well, right. if you're going to start from five feet away, I'll hit you there, and you'll yeah. never, you'll never get in." And she's not a short long range. She's not a, a short fighter at long range like Volkanovski is, where it's like, yeah. "Oh, like I can actually just." beat you from here because I have a great jab and I'm constantly making you reset your feet. Um, and I have good defense. Like she doesn't have these qualities. What she has is a whole range of flashier techniques, which if she wants to Marina Rodriguez can basically just throw something at the same time. Yeah. And be like, you know what I mean? Like there's just no yeah. consequences when you're at mutual long range with Watterson. I'll just hit you while you're trying to hit me and mine will be harder. And it'll hit you because I'm taller and longer. Exactly. Yeah. I'll, I'll just hit you and then what? You yeah. Know? That was very much the feeling. It was just, it's just not physically or stylistically a fight that allowed Watterson to get comfortable anywhere at any time. Yep. So, and for that reason, the wrestling didn't really show up that much. Yep. On that note, uh, odds for Wat Rodriguez or Rodriguez. She opened up at minus three thirty one. It's currently minus three twenty seven. And Watterson opened at plus two seventy eight and is currently plus two seventy five. Having gotten down as low as plus two forty eight at one point. But yeah, those odds aren't going to get. They're not going to close. Uh, it's just it's a bad fight for Watterson, and she's getting it twice. <laughs> yeah. It's one where Rodriguez can indulge all of her stupidest tendencies and not really pay for it, you know, yep. like. Yep. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you on it now. It sucks. Okay. okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I won't, I won't make fun of your, uh, your, your, vo your voice. You won't make fun of my stupid idiot voice? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Just remind me of. I can't remember what it was now. It's like now an old bit where like somebody you make you make somebody's voice sound way stupider than it is, and everybody else only recognizes it as that person entirely. <laughs> <laughs> That's also like when you're making fun of somebody, you ask them to like do an impression of someone embarrassing, and then you're like, "When are you going to start doing the impression?" Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a classic bit yeah alright that brings us to a welterweight bout Brian Battle AJ Fletcher and um yeah, this is kind of the battle well god <laughs> I, 
<laughs> you just got very tired. Are you okay? Yeah, it's just a realizing I, I said the word battle for a fight with Brian Battle. And that's the, just the kind of wordplay that really makes me mm-hmm. exhausted. Um, it's the kind of fight where it's one guy that I'm slowly feeling sorrier for and one guy that I'm slowly mm-hmm. getting more interested in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Because uh, when Brian Battle came to the UFC through tough, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be gone tomorrow. We were both extremely dismissive. Yeah, he had the kind of fighting style that was predicated by I'm I'm I think I'm pretty tough. And so I, I scrap on the, and I, I get through the regionals because I just go to go out and I sit in front of people and I scrap and they cling on to me. And they might take me down, but I'll get right back up and start scrapping again. And they can't handle it. You know, it was a very sideways baseball cap 2009 (laughs) style of ultimate fighter. You know, how come that one hasn't come back? A lot of 2000s fashions have come back. Are we going to see sideways caps again? We should. We really should. We should see tall tees. Yep. And sideways caps. Time is now. My closet. <laughs> I I have been storing the that my my fashion my closet. Oh my God, <laughs> I, I need to see you in a tall tee and a <laughs> sideways cap. <sighs> sideways Yankees fitted. Yes. Oh Lord. All right. Um, the tag still on. Were those two trends? Yep. Con- were those concurrent with each no, other? No, those were not concurrent trends. Okay, never mind. But uh, or a Kangol. Let's bring back Kangols. Yeah. Bring back bucket hats. There we go. Uh, yeah. So instead, battle. You know, he he had that one fight that pretty much showed exactly what we were worried about against Renat Fakhrutinov, uh, where he just got wrestled, and somebody was like, "Okay, what if I just don't let you scrap, bro?" And uh huh. No scrapping was had. But otherwise, he has looked uh, like he's getting a pretty good... He's, he seems like a fighter who doesn't... Uh, he doesn't get shaken up Certainly by not. pressure and aggression. No. And so he's really good about seeing exactly what opportunities are there for him, even if his technique isn't all that clean he he's not at all lacking in confidence or flinching or shying away from uh, the fight. Yeah. And I think we also uh, underrated how much power he has. Yeah. I think this is the other thing that like Brian battle himself is realizing he actually hits pretty hard in these stupid exchanges that he can't help but have. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that is just how clear eyed he is. Sure. Yeah. He's placing things well, and he dropped a division, so now he's not a small, scrappy middleweight, but he's a big, hard-to-control welterweight. 100%. He suddenly looks like a physical presence in a way that he did not on the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. On the flip side, we have Sean Shirk 2.0. Yeah. AJ Fletcher, who I can't help feel bad for because he's put together a very... Solid, 
I used to play football. Now I went over to MMA. I'm learning all the skills. I have some physicality and some speed and some power. MMA game. It's all the basics. The, 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 the power double legs, the overhands, the hooks, uh, all the, all the fundamental pieces of MMA are there. Mm-hmm. And he is just never going to succeed at this level because his arms are too short. Mm-hmm. And that's really it. Like, yeah. he is Couldn't, physically did, limited did. to a point that he's not going to beat most good fighters. Yeah. I assume he left football because he couldn't like palm the football. <laughs> then he tried then he tried baseball he couldn't palm the baseball either or reach the shelf where they put the batter's helmets <laughs> he's like i guess mma yeah that was the real problem is that he, he had to leave football because if they threw the ball towards his head he couldn't get his arms high enough up. <laughs> <laughs> it just hit him right in the face he got a lot of touchdowns uh catching the ball between the bars of his helmet yeah it just hit him squarely in the face you get it to him right in the gut, right in the belly button, and he's his hands are right there every time. Oh, yeah. Yep. But you get it up about shoulder height or higher. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he has a guy in his camp whose sole job is scratching the back of his head? Oh. He's like, Coach, I got a niche. <laughs> it's in the it's in the spot I can't reach. He's just got a whole bunch of back scratchers around him at all times. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, he's got really, really short arms. He's and, got really uh, short arms, and it is a shame because, like, he's a good yeah. athlete. Yep, he's super tough. Like, he's scrappy as hell. He's scrappy, yeah, absolutely. Um, he doesn't have a super clever game anywhere, really. But uh, he should be a better fighter than he is. It really feels like his tiny, short arms just mean that every fight is more difficult for him than it should be. And unless he suddenly develops, like, it is certainly possible AJ Fletcher could develop a boxing game good enough to overcome the short arms that he has. Yeah, but, uh, it's very unlikely, though. Yeah, it's just that that that's basically, you know, asking an MMA fighter to make a dramatic technical improvement. And uh, as we know, those are the rarest and hardest to come by kind of yeah. improvements in the game. And unfortunately for him, too, being a latecomer to all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. While he's got a good power wrestling game and power punching game, he doesn't have a really dedicated top control game that is damaging and consistent. And he doesn't have a grappling game. So, like, you know, somebody like Themba Garimbo, he could beat because Garimbo's game is just, I will oh. grapple with you and then I will make mistakes to the point that you sh- you should be able to beat me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I will just aggressively pursue things to the point that if you have any positional sense at all, you will start winning. Yeah. It's an interesting strategy. It is. It is. Uh, But you kind of have to be there and battle isn't there. Battle is very likely just going to see him coming in and hit him like, and and do big, do big punches on him. Yeah, you're always going to be able to hit AJ Fletcher first. Yep. So, yeah, it's not like Battles out there managing the distance exceptionally well or anything, but No. 
just being a guy who is always down to scrap and even against the bigger dudes he was fighting was very calm and fearless in exchanges. Yep. Now being bigger and harder hitting by what seems, again, like a good margin relative to your competition, uh, it makes him a pretty good fighter, I think. Yeah, he's got good eyes. Fletcher has to pursue and come in because he can't stay out. He can't stay at distance and try to manage the fight from kickboxing range. That's No, just, Battle would love to walk him down. Yeah. So he has to he has to step in, and every time he does, he has to go through so much more space to land than his opponent does. That if Battle is just hanging in and like looking, okay, where's my counter opportunity? Oh, it's right here, five inches before he can hit me. You know, mm-hmm. like Battle has a he has three inches of height on. Uh, AJ Fletcher, can you guess how much inch, how, how much of a reach advantage he has? Eight. Ten. Oh my god. Ten inch reach advantage. That shouldn't happen unless you are ten inches taller than somebody. <laughs> it shouldn't. Yeah. It is absurd. What is his what is his his ape index? What is what is what is AJ Fletcher's height to reach? Give me the numbers. He's six foot one. And with a 77-inch reach, which is a long reach, but, you know. A lot of that must be shoulders. Yeah. So would you say 77 inches? Yeah. And 6'1"? Yep. So that's 73 inches? Yeah, I mean, it's already a no. bad sign. For when Fletcher? No, Fletcher is 67 inches. 67 inches. Okay, I was going to say, there's no way his his wingspan is that close to his height. No, Fletcher yeah. is five foot ten with a sixty-seven inch reach. Five foot ten. Okay, so seventy inches tall. Yeah. Okay. Is an, an ape index of 0.95. I don't know yeah. if that number means anything to you, but the human average, you know, theoretically your arm your wingspan is identical to your height. Yeah. Is one. Uh and fighters very often have a number above one because yeah, that's just such a huge ideal, advantage is you know to be fair your ideal mma build is kind of short with a really long arms yeah volkanovsky's got super long arms yeah yeah gsp had that build yeah i mean shit battle is battle has much longer arms than his height yeah six one and he's got an additional what is that um an additional four inches of reach compared to his height. Yeah. Yeah, that's just a big advantage for fighters. And uh, on the other side, having arms much shorter than your total height is a huge disadvantage, which you need yeah. to be really technically well-equipped to work around. It's not critical. Uh, it's not like a doomed. If you can, It can be worked around like anything else, but uh, Fletcher doesn't have the game. He doesn't have the sophisticated technique necessary. And you can tell because in his fights, it's obviously a problem. Even in fights that he's easily winning, it still turns up as a problem that people just nail him when he's doesn't, he's just doesn't feel like he's in range yet. Yep. Fletcher is the underdog here. Not by a lot, not by as much as he should be opened at plus plus one seventy one. It's currently at plus one fifty two. Battle opened at minus 193 is currently minus 171. 
But yeah, no, I'm. You just can't pick Fletcher to win in the UFC. It has to be a fight like Garimbo, where you're like, oh, this guy is only going to wrestle with him and only yeah. going to give up re- bad spots in wrestling situations. Yeah. Otherwise, Fletcher will hang tough. He's a hard guy to put away, but mm-hmm. you can't pick him to win fights. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout. Charles Jordan against Ricardo Hamosh. Yeah, this is a cool matchup. It is. Um, Hamosh has just been hanging out in this area forever, hasn't he? He was he was one of the top prospects in the world at bantamweight in 2015. In 2015, yeah. he was one of the top prospects in the world of bantamweight in Legacy FC. Then he hit he hit a loss, and people were like, "Yeah, he's still good, though." And he got signed to the UFC almost immediately afterward. And he has been that eh, he's still good, though. He's good yeah, ever yeah. since. Yeah, he just has not really developed in any way. Yeah. Um. And what are his limitations that he has failed to develop past? I would say one is that. If a hard fight is brought to Ricardo Hamosh, he is forced to have a hard fight. Yeah, that's one. He is a he is a uh, a good sized featherweight who does have a long reach. He's going to have a substantial reach advantage in this fight, but that never really feels like a decisive factor, right? If somebody yeah. wants to scrap with Hamosh, he is going to scrap with them. The other thing is that uh, even if they don't want to, he is going to look for style points. Over yep. just winning a fight. <laughs> he loves hitting that damn spinning elbow. And Lord preserve him, it worked in his last fight. Yeah, it's worked a couple times. He's yeah. definitely, I mean, if you're going to say there's any one area that he's gotten better at, it's just the veteran, like, sense of where you, sense of distance and timing and where you are in the cage. Sure. That appears to have improved over time. Yeah. Uh, I will also add one other thing to the, the cons, the, the gaps that have not been filled for Ricardo Hamosh. It is that he can be entirely beaten and convinced away from yeah. his best skills by a fighter who can also do the things he does. Mm-hmm. He can be absolutely he can be he can be made to quit as a grappler by somebody who's just a better grappler. Yeah. And he can be entirely flummoxed and confused as a highlight range striker by somebody who's just a little trickier and m- more confident and willing to kick and strike with him at range. Not even trickier, somebody who just like when we were so impressed with Tukugov's performance against Hamosh because it yeah. was such a principled fight. Yeah. He just walked him down and jabbed him up. But even like you go back to the Saeed Nurmagomedov fight. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. Saeed th- like threw out the first kick and Hamosh was like, you know, I don't really want to kick with this guy. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do then? Yeah. And he just got knocked out. Like you just, yeah. you just didn't fight. And I think I think those that that is just tied to Hamosh's. I I I don't I don't know if it's it's another chicken and egg thing. Is it the pathology? Is it the yeah? Um, 
How did we come to use the word pathology in the way we use it, by the way? Because it, it really refers to disease. I don't know. But we always take it to mean, you know, like... Um, behavior, set, set pattern of behavior. Yeah, exactly. Like sort of mental uh, uh, imperatives. Um, I don't know. What, but whether it's a stylistic thing or it's a technical thing or one feeds into the other, which way around that goes... That is tied to Hamush's inability to like turn down a fight he doesn't want to have. Yeah. He is he is gonna have the fight you force on him. There is not a lot of control in Hamush's game. Um, there are fights like the one he had with Kyung Ho Kong, where he looks like a decent jabber because all Kyung Ho Kong wants to do is stay at range and trade jabs with him. Uh-huh. And then you see fights like even the one with Danny Chavez, and this is just a guy who like moves around pretty well. And every time Hamosh throws a jab, it's like Luke Rockhold's jab against Michael Bisping. It's like, oops, you sidestepped me. Like the weapons he has that should be um, controlling weapons are power shots like any other. He tends to have one idea at a time. And uh, these things are huge problems when he fights someone like Takugov, who just like stays in ideal distance and hits him with a jab and is like, okay, throw your one thing and then just counters him. Yeah. Um, and it's obvious why that leads to him appearing to be so defeated in those matchups. I will say this is another area where he's improved with experience is that he, he, he survives better in those miserable fights than I think he used to. Yeah. Yeah. He hangs he, around. You, he's you not the, as breakable. Right. You look at him and you're like, this is going to be like a classic Chucky olives thing where he just like decides to give in. He doesn't. But neither does he ever come up with a way of adjusting to an opponent yeah. who is able to just stay on him. And I think all of this is more than enough reason to pick Charles Jordan, who may very well have a super shaky first round, as he often does, but has an excellent jab, has uh, just a fantastic combination punching game in general. Like his left hook is going to be a problem for Hamosh, I suspect. Uh, especially if he can move forward and get Hamosh against the cage and has a reliable way of getting to the clinch, which despite the fact that he is a little smaller than Hamosh, actually I think they're the same height. Yeah. Um, Hamosh, we, we, we think, keep thinking of Hamosh as a big guy because he yeah. was a bantamweight and he was a big right, bantamweight, right, right. but he's yeah. a, not, he's a pretty average sized. I do wonder if he's, if he's grown or something and is taller than he's listed at. Even yeah, whether he's it's because he's grown or because it's just the number is not right. That could be. Uh, like Tapology says, he's an inch taller than Takugov. He looked a little more than an inch taller than him in their fight. Yeah, he also but, stands tall. True, that might be part of it. Um. Anyway, uh, Jordan has great range weapons, which lead him to a range where I just don't think Hamush is comfortable. The clinch, like Hamush has trick moves there. Yeah, but in a sustained posture breaking, hitting you to the knees with the body, um, hitting you with short punches while maintaining the collar tie elbows and the trips. There are a lot of ways that Charles Jordan has to make people miserable in the clinch. And I don't think how much can keep him from getting there. The other yeah. the other thing that's interesting here is that maybe Jordan lets Hamosh come forward. Uh, yeah, which he often does, especially early. But even there, I don't know. 
the the big thing that to me that would be the the, the big potential for Hamosh to me in this fight is that he does have a good uh, clinch trip and back take game. And he could potentially catch Jordan uh, overextending or off balance or backing up or at some point in a transition where, you know, Jordan is, has a tendency to kind of change uh, distances in a hurry, either yeah. leaping in on something or, you know, yeah. darting in to land something, getting a little reckless with his entries. Sure. <clears throat> And I could see Hamosh uh, backpacking him off of an entry like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Jordan. We see a lot less of that from Jordan now, though. We do. We do. He, he, he is, was eight flying knees per fight, man, when he got to the UFC. Yeah. And now he almost never does it. Yeah. He jabs and kicks, and is yeah, that, very the, solid boxer. The version of Charles Jordan that fought Cron Gracie, uh huh, and Nathaniel Wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta pick him over Ricardo Hamosh. He's just looked really good for like four yeah. fights running now. Yeah. Charles Rodin. He really hit a new level. Uh even going into the fight with Julian Arosa, that was because he used to be a guy. I was always so impressed with how he would discover that he was a really good technical fighter <laughs> yeah. late in a fight. And now he's just he's in that mode from the beginning. He's just much craftier and much He's not risk averse at all, but no. he's just a lot more calculated in the risks that he forces uh, that he he allows himself to take. Yeah, no, it's true. It's so uh, I, I think this could look a lot like the Takuga fight, basically, where uh, Hamosh is going to be surprisingly tough and hang around and, and continue to get moments, but Jordan he, is just yeah. like it's just more effective from a range that Hamosh is going to let him get into. Yeah. I agree, and I yeah, I don't think that ha I don't think that Jordan is going to get stuck on the outside watching Hamosh, which is really where Hamosh excels. His whole game is best suited for when you want to stay way outside, yeah, and let him be creative, and he can then change up. Oh, am I going to high kick you? Am I going to throw a one-two? Am I going to low kick you? Am I going to dart in on a takedown and then take your back? And that kind of exchange, but it yeah. really requires him to have all the momentum and all of the the forward progress. Yeah. It also helps that Jordan's a great body puncher, which is something yeah. that Takugov did not do to Hamosh. So um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I have little doubt that it will be a tough fight at a certain point because sure, yeah, you know, we were super impressed with Takugov and his fight with Hamosh just as impressed. I think with the fact that Hamosh looked like he was breaking in round one and just like gritted his teeth yeah, and, and fought a really dogged, like, um, sort of, uh, who's the Roman general who did that? Is it Marius? Who like, you're out of my depth here. He he ran the Carthaginians around. What's that called? You know, when you like a, a bunch of losing battles, but one where like if it goes on forever, maybe your enemy will overextend and defeat themselves. I don't. Know. Yeah, whatever. You don't okay. know your history. It's all Greek to me, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. The I think it's the Marian strategy. We'll say. Okay. 
Charles Jordan opened at minus 115. He's currently minus 128. Ricardo Hamosh opened at plus 104. He's currently plus 116. All right, we're going to wrap things up on that note. But of course, if you're a subscriber to our Substack, uh, stick around for the... I can't remember what we called it now. Subscribers only. Oh, yeah, that's right. For the subscribers only. <laughs> it, it, it has less punch now. Stick that I around totally for it. some hot subscriber only action just after this. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA depressed us.